0: So we are in Mark 16, 9 through 20, again tonight. Uh, I'll read through those verses here, reading out of the NIV to start with, then we'll move to the notes. Uh, the thing we're looking at here, uh, finishing up from last week, hopefully it's, it's not quite as uh, much of a circus as last week where I had, we were handing out manuscripts and passing out pieces of papyrus and seeing all kinds of artifacts, um, so I just kind of cleaned this up. And the issue is, and again, I apologize. Uh, it's, it's in our text, uh, not in the scriptural text, but in our Bibles, that between verse 8 and verse 9, it has footnotes in many, especially the modern Bibles, it says, Most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses, meaning church fathers who are teaching and quoting and teaching uh, Christianity using the verses from the New Testament, ancient witnesses, do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. And so as we saw last week, uh, some would say this book should end at verse 8. Uh, some say there should be no break there, that these are legitimate, and we have what we call the, the long ending of Mark. But also, sometime before the long ending came about, there was a short ending that is in manuscripts uh, in the ancient days, and even sometimes in, our, in our, the codex of things we've gotten. We'll take a look at that. And then there's the option that Mark wrote an ending, and it was lost. So you've got the actual verse 8 is the end of the book. Then you've got the what is in the text here, the long ending. Then you've got an alternative short ending that we don't have here in our Bibles, but it's in some manuscripts. And then you've got an ending that's not here, but it's been lost, and we don't know what it is. So those are the four options. And different people become very heated, especially because we all want to have the integrity of Scripture. We do not want to add to, but we don't want to take away from the Scriptures. So adding to the Scriptures is just as grievous as taking away from the Scriptures. And then you get into manuscripts. I tried to make a presentation last week of just, I don't want to say confusing but how involved it is called textual criticism of building the Greek New Testament. And, and when I say building, meaning we've got codexes like from 350, 400, Codex Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus. We've got pictures in the notes. We had pictures on the screen last week uh, of codexes, large Bibles that were copied in 325, 400 AD. We're going to have Codex Alexandrian. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, then a bunch of parchments and papyrus fragments. But we don't have a, 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 like a full Bible that was handed down from Paul, that Paul gave it to Timothy, and then Timothy gave it to the next generation. And we or we can fly to Jerusalem and copy a Bible. We, where's the Bible at? Well, the Bible was mailed around to the churches or sent around to the churches. Some made copies. Those copies were lost. Sometimes they collected them. Sometimes they. it was many years. We'll get into this when we start uh, after New Year's, when we start talking about the, uh, the church conflicts many of them, not many but there are several books that were were kind of on the the v- v- fringe of, of being rejected including uh second peter uh jude was one of them uh and then there's even other books like the shepherd of hermes which was in that category that was not put in the text of scripture or in the canon of scripture and and jude was and so it's not as and we're not destroying faith. We are supporting what Jude writes, uh, that we contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And realize we, we're studying that in, in on Sundays. The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints is this body of truth, this this doctrine, the apostolic teaching that was handed to the church. But Jude is writing sometime between 55, I think it's closer to 55 A.D., maybe up to 65 A.D., he's writing in those years that we've received uh, the the, the faith, the doctrine. Well, John hasn't written anything at that time. Uh, Paul has still got to write the two letters to Timothy, Uh, Hebrews is being written sometime, you know, towards, you know, 64, 63 AD. Revelation isn't written yet. So the whole, the books haven't even been written yet. And Jude is able to say the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So uh, there's no contradiction there, but it's not as simple as just a clear cut line here's your new testament that god gave paul and now we all make copies of it and zonovan is the one that uh was the original printer it's like it's been built and so there's some questions about some things and again that shouldn't undermine your faith uh, but you should understand a little bit about that nonetheless showing up in the manuscripts are these verses uh and and some don't want to touch them just leave them here don't criticize them uh some would say well well we'll look at some proof here tonight and again, I, I'm not going to necessarily give you an answer. Verse 9. After having said, uh, verse 16, verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he, he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and, th- and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive... And that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to it to, reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had been seen by him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up in the heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, that's the end of the book of Mark, great verses. And everything that you see in those verses is confirmed elsewhere in the Gospels. The closest thing we're going to have to like, whoa, what are we talking about? Is the idea of picking up snakes, although Paul got bit by a snake and wasn't hurt and amazed everyone there and helped kind of bring an opening for him to testify. Uh, The idea of drinking deadly poison and it won't hurt them. Uh, And then, of course, talking about the, the other charismatic signs, kind of almost making them like a guarantee. And all that is confirmed as being... Something that did appear in the book of Acts, and you know, some are going to be. In, now we get to another issue: the cessation has those things stopped happening after the apostles died, or at some point when the New Testament canon was complete and they no longer happen. Or is this something that God can do throughout the church age as He wills through confirmed signs uh, or confirmed His word? And so that's another whole conversation. But here they are listed here. Uh, that is those verses. Now the concern is. Uh, are they supposed to be there especially when you have in your bibles uh, a warning the the most reliable manuscripts and the most reliable in that statement means the oldest manuscripts now there's a question are the oldest manuscripts the most reliable and when we say manuscript we mean written out by hand it doesn't mean you know, printed, like we have printed notes or printed Bible, uh, the manuscripts had to be written out. So, of course, now you're writing them out. There's great room for error uh, because you can make it, you know, just like writing anything. You make a mistake, you spell a word wrong, you skip a line, you write a line twice. Or as a scribe, you maybe want to clarify. Like you've seen me read a verse of Scripture, and then an hour later I'm still explaining what the verse meant. If I was a scribe, I'd write the verse out and then feel like, well, I probably should probably explain a little bit about it. Uh, and not that I'd be adding to the scriptures, but as a teacher, I'd, I, eh, I want to explain so you understand. Well, there are scribes in the in the in throughout church history, especially those you know the first thousand years. They're writing everything by hand. Fourteen, fifteen hundred years. They're writing things by hand, and someone would have little notes they'd put in there. And sometimes the notes would be off to the side, just like my Bible's got notes written in it. Well, if someone were to take and copy this, they say, well, that's a, a good reference. They may take the note that's in the side and put it right into the text. And now all of a sudden, what used to be just my footnote or maybe a little side note to myself, now someone makes a copy, well, oh, that's a good point. And they, I'll just put that in the text and now someone else makes a copy, they don't even get a decision. It's just, it's part of the manuscript. And you can see as you follow the manuscript development where someone has inserted a footnote or a scribal note to help clarify something, not that they're changing the scriptures, but it just kind of found its way into the text of scripture. I got to keep moving here, otherwise we're off talking about textual criticism. On the first page of the notes, very interesting right there for you at least, uh, at the ending of the book of Mark, you've got one, two, three, four, five. Those are the five parts of the original ending. That would be uh, ending in verse 8. The missing ending that we don't have, no one knows where it's at. It was lost. That's an assumption. The short ending that we do have, and it shows up in certain manuscripts, and this is written right here, the short ending that I haven't read you, but they reported briefly to Peter and those with him, All that they had been told, and after this, Jesus himself sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And so that is in a few manuscripts. Uh, Mark 8 ends, Mark 16, verse 8 ends, and then there's this short ending right here just to kind of clean it up. Uh, That was there. That is a separate creation that appears to have come first. This is the debate, did that come first? And obviously, most would say that had to come first. And then someone says, well, that's not a very good ending. Then they created the long ending to kind of clean up the book. And then, in some cases, this was eliminated. This replaced the the short ending. There's a few manuscripts, that I've got it all noted in there, that the short ending is there, and then they stick the long ending on there also. So this is one sign right here that... uh, why is there a short ending if this long ending is there why would you create this if this is already in the book which means the reason this was created the logic would be this was short ending was created because this was not there yet that this was right at the end it's like why right here one of the proofs for mark sixteen eight not being a good ending or the ending is for a hundred years they kept trying to create an ending for it no one liked it's like wow what a brilliant way to end the book and they all went away afraid oh hits me right here it's like they're like where's the end of the book and so they all were trying they made a short ending they made a long ending they're going what, what is this even the scribes like where's it at and so there's your question and then of course that would lead us to this right here if these were creations and they're not happy with sixteen eight, well then there must be something missing we have lost the end of mark we don't so those are your options and the people if you jump into one of those camps and you just choose to who you're going to defend especially defending the long ending they will like in, in many cases they become very militant and now you're a heretic it's like you're destroying the bible well we're just looking at the manuscripts and uh, i if i were to say anything i don't like six here if you want to hear me make a point make it again mark sixteen eight seems to end kind of weird and the women went away afraid and it's like, well, that's a brilliant ending. It's a classic ending. It makes people make a decision. Now I'll point this out as we go through. The re- problem with that is one, that he's writing to the readers in Rome. They're under persecution by Nero. They don't need to make a decision. They're making a decision every day. They've got family members burning on stakes, being eaten by the lions. That's maybe why Mark didn't end the Bible, or end the book of Mark. He maybe was arrested. Uh, again, that's an assumption. So it doesn't seem to be a real good ending. So I'm not, like, I'm not for this ending. The fact that this short ending is just kind of weird and it seems there's some lines in there, as you saw, that says this right here. uh, Jesus himself sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation Uh, nothing wrong with that, but that sounds, some scholars would say, and I tend to slip into that, sounds a little churchy, sounds like it's been a little liturgy kind of developed, got some momentum behind it, and like someone just kind of tacked that on, which means this isn't there yet. This then was plugged in, and if you're going to attack this, if you don't like this, you don't want this, because it's not in some of the ancient manuscripts, well, this is a weird ending, then your only answer would be something was missing, something was lost, why? Maybe it wasn't finished. Maybe Mark got sick. Maybe he got interrupted. Maybe he never got back to it. Maybe they took it to the printer before uh, he was done with the, the proofreading. Uh, maybe it wore off, wore away. It's kind of hard to imagine it wearing away on, but you know, because it's a, a scroll. Uh, but it's missing. And so because it was missing, they had to provide something. Now, everything in here is scriptural. Like I said, a little bit of that charismatic stuff is a little, uh, a little extreme, we would think, especially when he talks about, and here's we'll, the point coming up. So these signs will follow you throughout the whole book. Jesus has been not real big on signs. Show us a sign. I'm not going to show you a sign. I'll give you one sign. Uh, the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. And, and at three days come, it'll be like the sign of Jonah. It's like, well, now what about all these other signs? Well, they were there, uh, but that's not Mark's theme. Also, Mark's theme was suffering, not Nothing will hurt you. You can drink poison. You can handle snakes. Nothing's going to hurt you. This whole, the people that are reading this book are suffering. I mean, it's like, well, I'm not worried about poison. I'm not worried about snakes. What I'm worried about is the gladiators, or I'm worried about the Colosseum, or I'm worried about being put on a stake, dipped in oil, and lit on fire by Nero. Yeah, but you don't need to worry about poison or snakes. Yeah, it's like, but I got family members, friends, the church is being persecuted. Peter's gonna die in 64. Paul's gonna be executed in 67. Oh uh, yeah, but you don't need to worry about snakes. That's the good news. It's like so I mean there's some oddness in that, I would I think. And again, the only reason I'm even saying that is because of this issue. Okay, now in your notes, you can turn page two, three, that's just the 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 English standard version with the Greek. Um, page five talks about the original ending Um, that would be mark 16 8 that's what i'm calling it the original ending Uh, now on page six talking about the missing ending if it was missing like how come it was missing Um, and then we come to page nine okay page page eight talks about the short ending i just referred to some of those things there the short ending was uh, around in 200 a.d The long ending was around, that we can see it referred to. 200 A.D., we know there's a short ending uh, because of the witnesses. By 150 A.D., we know for sure there's a long ending uh, in circulation. Uh, But because of the long, why, if the long ending is there, why would you write the short ending? Which then gives the assumption that if the short ending, it doesn't, it was, we have a record of, of someone referring to it. By 200 A.D., that doesn't mean that was when it was written. But because we have reference to the long ending in 150 A.D., it's more likely the short ending was written sometime before that, say 125 A.D. I'm making that number up. Uh, And we have reference in 150 to the long ending. The long ending could have come from somewhere else or another part, you know, Egypt, you know, Syria, Asia, whatever. Uh, could have come around and unknown to this maybe you know 140 AD when it was written or something like this either way the short and long ending are early they're either part of the original text and they just got lost or they were added to help complete but they were in circulation very early and they are basically collecting things out of the the other gospels and putting them in there so that that is the short and long ending as far as their arrival on page uh, if you want to see on page eight i've got an old latin codex this is the only example of the short ending to mark sixteen eight without the long ending all the other manuscripts or codexes if there's a short ending they tack on they have another ending on it so you got the short ending ah oh, that's the end of the book yeah but here's another ending and it's on there so you got two endings this it's from 400 a.d it's latin and it is the end of mark it's got mark 16:8, and then the short ending which doesn't really have a number it's just called the short ending uh it's a fragment text uh that that shows what's going on right there so you can see that's that's an example of a manuscript and that's where we get the short ending and there's no long ending in this codex bob if i say that correctly bob in 400 a.d there's no long ending there in latin there's no long ending on this and that's not the only one so that's when they say the most reliable manuscripts don't have this well there's an example 400 not that's not the king crowning example but there's one Okay, page 9, the long ending. Um, uh, here's some things about this. This is just random thoughts about this. The trans- transition from chapter 16, verse 8, to 16, verse 9, this is review, is rough and inconsistent with, since Jesus appears to Mary, uh, the two other women are gone. So there's, there's a command, go tell my disciples, and all of a sudden, the next verse, there's Mary by herself and Jesus talking to her. Uh, Mary is then introduced as if she had had just appeared. She's been, been in chapter 15, verse 40, 15, 47, and 16, 1. May, we know who Mary is. We know who this is. But all of a sudden, chapter 16, verse 9, introduces her. Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus cast out seven demons, which is a true statement, but why are you telling? It's almost like this was, some have commentators say, this was something that was written somewhere else. It was just cut and pasted over here into Mark because it's like someone's introducing Mary for the first time in their writing, and they plug it in. Uh, that's that's a completely an assumption. And if you're, if you're supporting this long ending, you're, having, you're, you're, you're very upset with the very fact that I'm saying that kind of a thing. It's, it's bothering, which is appropriate. Uh, it records three appearances of Jesus, which is important. That's part of the gospel message that Jesus appears. And I'll show you that. Uh, Point D, the details of the long ending are pieces of information picked up from the other Gospels. I pointed that out to you. Uh, Point E, uh, the long ending seems to have been created in the second century by taking information from the other three Gospels, but still missing point F, still missing from the long ending, is Jesus fulfilling his promise to meet the disciples in Galilee. That was one of the things that was said by the young man. Go tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee. They're supposed to go to Galilee and he'll meet them there. Uh, and he does in the other Gospels, but he never does that in, in Mark, even after they, they've said this. Uh, the long ending is rejected, point G. This is just a statement. You don't have to agree with it, but it's a state. You don't have to say they're good scholars. You can say they're progressive, they're liberal, they're bad scholars, they're satanic scholars. But the, the, the idea is your academic scholars reject the long ending today. Now, I'm not saying that's the right thing because there's a lot of things scholars are doing today that I disagree that's flat out unbiblical, unchristian. It's They're denying scripture in in many cases. So that, that doesn't mean anything except, you know, most doctors suggest, you know, well, they suggested you get the COVID shot too. Uh, but it's like, well, they're the doctors. Well, I don't agree with the doctors. And here's the scholars. And I'm just saying, that's what the scholars say. Uh Point H, considered not written originally by Mark by most early authorities. Now we're getting back to the early, forget about today's scholars. I mean, they're there. But now we go back, what did the early church fathers think of these verses and how do we know? We've got some evidence. Eusebius and Jerome, I'll talk about that. Uh, Page 10, point I at the top. 69 seems to be its own introduction or ha- seems to have its own introduction verse to the re- events of Resurrection Sunday, because they've already introduced the day, and it's the early part of the day, the first day of the week. Now they say it again. It's the early part. They use a different word for first. Uh, it doesn't flow naturally from chapter sixteen, verse one through eight, into verse nine through twenty. Same story, but it's like it's a, a di- like cut and pasted from another article. Like you started copying someone's homework right here at this point. If you're doing your doing your homework. Uh, these verses 16, 9 through 20 are not found in these manuscripts. The o- t- two oldest Greek unsealed manuscripts. The unseals are the capital letters. All the Greek letters are capital. No punctuation. And the codex is the pages that are uh, a papyrus or parchment, in this case, that are cut and then sewn together like a book. They're the early form of a book. They're 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 after the scroll. They're now in codex form, or what we'd recognize as a book. And that's Codex Sinaiticus from 350 A.D., known known as Aleph, or the 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 Hebrew letter Aleph right here. That that's that's what that's. They've all got symbols. If you got like P. 72 fragment like a papyrus fragment like this is a real papyrus fragment but it's nothing that anybody cares about but it's from 200 a.d uh 100 a.d sometime maybe 100 bc that would be that would be titled p something if it was something somebody cared about i call it the one on the bookshelf or the demonstration so they're all all the papyrus are labeled uh the codex are called something and codex vaticanus is called codex vaticanus it's it's B, and that's an abbreviation, so you can put in the, the, uh, the apparatus at the bottom of a Greek text where you got this, this verses or this word. It comes from Codex Vaticanus. So you don't write Codex Vaticanus, you just write B. Uh, so 350 A.D., Sinaiticus does not have it. And there's a picture of it right there showing where it ends. And there's a little space right there, but that space is just the ending and making room for the beginning of Luke. Codex Vaticanus is a little more interesting because it, it is not there also, but it leaves an entire column for it could maybe be inserted, and some say there's room enough for you to squeeze all the letters for it to be put in there. Again, we don't know why that's, it's just got an extra column there. Uh, the old Latin Codex, like I just referred to from 400 AD, does not have it. Uh, that's the point... Uh, Uh, Point B, my numberings got messed up there. Uh, Sinaitic Syriac, so from the Syriac in 375 AD, it is not there. There are 100 Armenian manuscripts that do not have it. And Armenian is important because Armenia, in in Jerusalem, if you just made a real quick map of Jerusalem, there's the Temple Mount right there. This is the Muslim quarter, this is the Christian quarter, this is the Jewish quarter. Guess what this is? Armenian quarter. well well, Armenian oh those are the ones that are anti-calvinist no that's armenius that's not that armenian is a country this is the jewish this is the arab or the muslim this is the christians and this is an actual part because so early in history in, in in the first and second century the the armenian armenia was the first country to become we know of constantine making the roman empire christian but Armenia had already been a Christian nation people don't know this it's not something that's part of our culture but they had be, their king made the announcement we are a Christian nation early in, in, in church history and so people began to drift to what there was their holy city and they're still an Armenian presence there today and if I can do this right here very quick without not, ah, here we go We've got, every time we go to Jerusalem, we go to the, this quarter. This is Armenian pottery right here. And, uh, and they make it. There's a man that makes it. He's got his daughter works in the shop, and she does the painting, and they make this Armenian. Uh, Antonio always picks something up. And so they've been there. They've been there. They're there today. You go to their shops. They're in this part of the city. They've been there since early on because they became, they're, they're Christians living right there. Now, the whole point about saying that, there's a hundred Armenian texts from very, very early, and they don't have these verses there. Uh, two of the oldest Gregorian manuscripts from 897 and 913. Now, this 897, 913, we're like up to almost a 1,000 years in the church history. They don't have those verses. Uh, the early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, and again, I'm not a real big fan of his theology, uh, but he never refers to these verses. Now, just now listen, when, when you say this, it's a fact. He never referred to these verses, but the thing is, that's a statement, but then you could also go through the rest of the Bible and list a monumental amount of verses that he also didn't mention. It, he, it's not like he says these are not part of the Bible. He just doesn't refer to them. And so you can say, uh, these guys, Clement of Alexandria, right, uh, who lived between 150 and 215 A.D., During this time period, I mean into that second generation, third generation, he doesn't quote from these verses and never goes to these verses for support for his doctrine. Uh, But there's a lot of other verses he also doesn't use. Uh, Origen, who was a student of Clement, which I think Origen is one of the early heretics, he wrote volumes of stuff. He was, he got into mystical, not mystical, allegorical teaching. He, He tried to take Greek thinking and uh, he's he's on the shelf of all the church fathers but he really takes things i mean i, I remember reading many many years ago reading, this he's making stuff up i mean he's got numbers that mean things and it's like holy smokes he's just taking greek greek philosophy and in interpretation because that's how they used to interpret homer was they had to find symbolism within homer to make some kind of application so he takes that concept that structure and puts it to scripture which you don't need to but nonetheless origin uh, 185 to 253, never refers to these verses. And he wrote volumes. He wrote, oh, just, I mean, he, they, they, someone hired someone to copy. Everything he wrote, they hired someone to copy. So as he's writing stuff and teaching every day in the Bible school in Alexandria, everything he says, there's copyists sitting in a room copying stuff down for him. So like, it's like a printing press. it would be like me taking my notes and just running through a printer and handing them out. So he's everywhere. But in all of his writings, and he quoted a lot, doesn't use these verses. Uh, Cyprian, a bishop of Carthage, now we're moving across to North Africa. Uh, 210, 258, five, 258 does not re- refer to these. Eusebius, the church historian. Who's going to be around Constantine's day? We'll look at him again. Uh, says in his writing that Mark sixty nine through twenty were absent from the majority of the Greek copies of Mark known to him. He says that in three three hundred A.D. It, it's in mo- most of Greek manuscripts that never shows up. Now that doesn't mean he's not saying it shouldn't be there. He says, "Well, I get these Greek manuscripts. I'm copying. It's not here. It's not here it's in this one, but not in this one. So, well, maybe this one's the right one. Maybe these are you know some maybe." changed it or took it out why is it's not there maybe it's maybe it's an error. now if we i got to keep going eusebius writes before 312 before 312 this is a 312 ad he writes to Marinus in one the following They'd ask the question. Now here's, they're gonna be, this is where you get a, get a little bit of ex- interaction between a, a, someone that's a Christian asking a question. It's kind of like reading a blog, and you have comments underneath. You make a, a blog statement, and someone says, well, why did you say this? And then the author answers it. Uh, Eusebius and then Jerome, who's going to be writing in Bethlehem uh, around 380 to 420 A.D., Jerome is going to be making the Latin Vulgate. He's going to be taking the Greek and Hebrew, and making the latin vulgate the roman okay i'll talk about that in a moment okay eusebius he says your first question was this how is it that the savior's resurrection evidently took place in matthew quote late on the sabbath but in mark early in the morning on the first day of the week that's their question. It's like, wait, we got a contradiction. It's a you know, it's a good question. It's like it seems like the gospels are. Con- Why is this happening? they're not necessarily a critic saying, "I'm an atheist. I'm a secular humanist," because that's coming later. Uh, they're just saying, "How do I explain it to these people that reject Christianity?" Or how do I? The answer to this would be twofold. Okay, he says the actual nub of the matter is the periscope, which says this: one who. and and the word and which means marks the passage as spurious which means sometimes as they're writing the scribes are writing they come to this part they go this is this part right here this is not and they put some kind of a mark by it in in the column and you can see that in some of the codexes as you look through it it says they put a mark by That's what that means uh the periscope would say that it is not found in all copies of the gospel according to Mark. Accurate copies end with their text of the Mark in account with the words of the young man whom the woman saw, women saw and who said to them, Do not be afraid. It is Jesus, uh, it is Jesus the Nazarene that you are looking for, etc., after which it adds, and when they heard this, they ran away and said nothing to anyone because they were frightened, end quote. That is Eusebius writing in 3.12 in answer to a question. That's not the modern scholars. That's 3.12 Eusebius. The runners were going to write church history during Constantine's day. And then he goes on and says, that is where the text does and in almost all copies now he doesn't know he's not like i was there when mark stopped writing he's the same place we are except he's closer he's in three twelve, saying that's where the text ends how do you know in almost all copies of the gospel according to mark so he's there's copies obviously that were in existence that he saw that have deteriorated since to, you know into our day but he's looking at the same thing we are and saying in most of the copies it's not there and now They've all. Some of those have all disappeared, and now what we have that remains, they still put a note in there. Something's missing. So there's no way of saying uh, there's, there's someone's trying to take this out of the Bible. There's a question with Eusebius. There's a question through uh, you know from the first second century. There's a question about the did something get lost? Did it get cut out? Did someone not like it? What something happened? We don't know. So to say that just they're supposed to be there that Mark wrote them that's that's too simple i mean that that's you're you're not addressing the issue what occasionally follows in some copies not all would be extraneous is that how you say that word extraneous meaning it's extra he says if there's anything in those greek copies after it's not mark's writings someone added. not saying it's wrong uh necessarily not saying it's unscriptural but mark didn't write it uh okay now jerome uh, who was from Rome, was in cont- you know, contest to be, you know, the bishop of Rome would be one of the popes, was a high Bible teacher and got, you know, kind of rough around the edges, if you would, again, I'm paraphrasing, not paraphrasing, generalizing. And he was, they're going to vote for the bishop and he didn't get the bit. It was like, they kind of got elected. By this time, they're kind of running campaigns who's so going to get to be the bishop. They've got all the power. They make all the decisions. And Eusebius, or Jerome, got voted out, got beat in the election. So he, just went back to Bethlehem. He just says, he's not from Bethlehem, but went to Bethlehem, joined a monastery, and in the Church of the Nativity, being Christmas season, you, if you go to the Church of Nativity, right there by the place where Jesus was supposedly born, which was a cave at one time, and then they built up a, a monument, sites over it, you know, it's like a church over it now. Uh, that's where Jerome's office was. He sat right there, and that's where he translated. If you look, you can see where Jesus supposedly was born. You just go right around the corner, and there's Jerome's office, where Jerome translated the Latin Vulgate uh, between 380 and 420 A.D., and he stayed there the rest of his life. And, made, and the new pope asked him, the Latin Bible, the Latin scriptures are been, have been, watch, this is uh, 380, 420 A.D., and the Roman church, the Roman leadership realizes we've got the Latin, we've got the Greek, but they translated it into Latin for us, and we don't have a printing press, and people keep making copies, and it's like everybody comes and their their Bibles don't match. They, if they get together, they, it's like, and not everybody had a Bible. But it's like, it, it's so corrupt. We don't even know. We can't even make decisions because everybody got a different copy of the Bible. So he says, would you, because you are, again, he, he was very academic, very skilled in language, would you make us a new Latin translation? So Jerome agreed. And he went through all the Hebrew. He goes through all the Greek, all the manuscripts. And he makes a perfect crystal clear latin translation latin vulgate and says this is the best that we can come up with the manuscripts that we've got available and again they had he used you know hebrew text and and greek text and of course sent it to rome and the pope says this is now the official bible everybody make your copy from jerome's latin vulgate and those other ones are are, we're going to get rid of them because they had it's not like you can just have a printing press and make you know they're copying Okay, now guess what happened when they came out with the new Latin Vulgate? Guess how the church people responded to it? Well, okay, let's say you've got a King James Bible and in 1978 the sonovan prints the NIV. They say, this is a updated translation with the newest manuscripts. And the whole church goes, Oh, hallelujah! And they throw their King James aside and embrace the NIV with arms wide open. That's exactly what happened when the Jerome's Latin Vulgate shows up. The churches says, No way. We're not going to, you're not going to change the scriptures on us. And what they were trying to do was correct and, and, you know, get everything back in line, if that makes sense. Anyway, Jerome, that's Jerome. Um, says in his writings, he says in his writings that Mark 16, 9 through 20, were absent from the majority of the Greek copies of Mark known to him. Now, these are the ones that are known to him in uh, a 300. 300. Not the ones that were made in 400, 500, 600 A.D. They're not even written yet. The ones that are known that had to be written sometime in maybe in the first century. You know, he may have access to first century documents, second century documents. And then Mark 16, 9 through 20 were absent. He says this. This is not me saying, or today's scholars. This is why today's scholars question these verses because guys like Jerome are making this statement. Jerome writes... This in four hundred six, to four fourteen in his epistle, numbered right here. It's very, it's right here. There, he's got a question. Why do the evangelists? This is a person. Their name is Hyderbaya, <clears throat> and they ask. They ask twelve questions. This is the third of their twelve questions. Why do the evangelists speak differently about the resurrection of our Lord and how He appeared to His apostles? Jerome's answer. There, here you. Here you first ask why Matthew says that our Lord rose on the evening and on the first day of the following week, just the St. Marcus to the contrary and says this, Jesus arising on the first day of the week in the morning appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now we're into the long text. You See this right here? From whom he had expelled seven demons and she departing, told those who were his companions as they mourned and wept. And these, hearing that he was alive and that she had seen him, did not believe him. Now notice what Jerome just quoted. He just quoted in uh, 406 to 414, the long ending. Because they say there's a conflict between Mark and Matthew right here. And he says, well, here's what Mark says. This problem has a twofold solution. Either we do not accept the testimony of Mark because this first portion is not contained in most of the Gospels, that bear his name, almost all the Greek codices lacking it. The codexes are not the parchments or the scrolls. The codexes are all what we'd say the modern books, the ones, the most recent ones. They're all lacking it. Or else must affirm that Matthew and Mark have both told the truth that our Lord rose on the evening of the Sabbath. So he says there's two ways of looking at this. It, Mark's account was added after Mark wrote. The other is if Jesus arose at this time, but he didn't appear to Mary until... A few hours later and both statements would be true kind of like the women went to the tomb while it was still dark but when they get to the tar- to, to, went, went to the tomb while it was still dark but when they got to the tomb the sun was shining it's like whoa 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 it's a conflict no they got they went to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark while the sun was rising and by the time they get there the sun has risen it, it's not a conflict it's a process of moving nonetheless that's we're looking at uh, uh jerome's answer Point F, Eusebian sections do not have provisions for the numbering. Some Greek manuscripts have scribal notes. It's 69 saying these verses are absent. They've got that little thing right here saying these. I'm going to add these, but they're not in. The, I'm, just, I'm just adding it here. The apocryphal book known as the Gospel of Peter, which, of course, we do not accept, is, has a similar ending uh, as, as, as Mark, uh, but without the long ending. So it, that matches. is not an authentic book. Greek manuscripts that have the short ending almost always have the longer ending. So if they got the short ending, they got the longer ending. And point J, B.B. Warfield. This is an important individual, I think. He's an American professor of reformed theology at Princeton. He was the champion of the doctrine of inspiration. B.B. Warfield fought for the authenticity, the inspiration, the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, He writes this. The existence of the shorter conclusion, the shorter ending, is a... For toyori, for which means that word means I had to look it up and write this in from the stronger, as an argument based on another argument is so strong that it makes it unanswerable. Evidence against the longer one because there's the short ending, that's evidence against the long ending. This is the one that wrote and defended the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, he says, Because there's a short ending that exists, that means the longer ending is also made up because you wouldn't have the shorter ending trying to end the book if the longer ending was authentic. Uh for no one doubts that this shorter conclusion is a spurious invention of the scribes. He says no one doubts this, that everyone knows that short ending someone added it. Well, if you know that for a fact, that proves the longer ending doesn't belong there either because if you got one, you got the other. That's what he was saying. Okay, support for Mark 16:8 not being the original ending. Uh, the, the, the problems with this concept, the strategy failed misery. So if Mark 16.8, and I've said, I think all this, I don't want to waste my time on it. But the reason that Mark 16.8 is not Mark's intention because everyone tries to correct it. Uh, Mark's readers spent the next 100 years trying to solve it by the short ending, by the long ending, or adding additional words. So if it was some clever artistic literary effect, no one got it, Mark. Try again. It's like being at a comedy club and having this new wave of, of comedy and presenting it to the crowd, and everyone's like, no one laughed. No one was happy with the end of the book. Um, so why did the book end at Mark chapter 16, verse 8? Uh, was it, Mark's intention? Point B. He got interrupted. He got arrested. He got martyred. Something could have happened. Mark 1, 1 begins... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the gospel is the good news. And then you go through the whole book about the, he says, the beginning of the gospel, the good news. Go through the whole book, and the book ends with fearful women running away, not saying anything. It's like, well, this is the beginning of the gospel. Where's the end of the book where the gospel is, like, confirmed? Give us, like, the resurrection or something, or an appearance. And that's where we come into this right here. Point four: Part of the gospel message is the physical appearance of Jesus. I talked about this last week, but here's the details of it. The gospel message is not that Jesus uh, was arrested. The gospel message is not that Jesus died on the cross. The gospel message is not just that Jesus was buried. The gospel message is Jesus was arrested, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was physically buried, and after three days, he arose from the dead. That's not the end of the gospel message. And he appeared to people in his physical. That's the gospel message. In the New Testament, now you can reduce it. Jesus died for my sins on the cross. He lives again. I'll live again. You can you reduce it to that if you'd like to. But here we have it. Paul writing in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. I'm writing at bottom page 13. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And yet it's possible, you said you believed, but it was empty. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I, what I also received, meaning I, I didn't make it up, I received this information from those who witnessed it, I received this information. Now Paul sometimes will say, I received this from the Lord, but this, he says, this was handed to me. <coughs> he didn't need Jesus to come and tell him, uh, here, I died on the cross. he That was information that happened. He Paul receives other revelation. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Notice what he says, the scripture said these things had to happen. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me on the road to Damascus. He's talking about the gospel that Paul preached in 1 Corinthians 15 is this right here. Point two. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and Christ appeared. And then he gives you a list of people that he appeared to. So the book of Mark, ending in verse 8, has he died, he was buried, and he was raised because the angel, or the young man, the angel, says he's no longer here, he is risen. But what is missing is that next point appeared and that seems to be a theme died buried raised because if you d- listen it's going to become a big issue in the second century when we get into the church doctrines and, and the in the heretics uh, it's easy well he died and it was buried and now he's alive and we can go right to a hollywood movie now you got this ghost floating around he's living in the afterworld he's alive somewhere else and it's like no 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 he came back in physical form and he appeared to us in his body. He ate food in front of us. We touched him. We traveled with him. He's physically back in a, is a resurrected physical body. That is part of the gospel. That's really the theme of chapter 15. Okay, uh, the appearance of the physical re- resurrected Christ is part of the gospel. Okay, I said that, point five. One of the possible solutions, maybe one of the best solutions is this, is to say we are missing the ending of the book of Mark. And somehow, we, we lost it. Um, now, on the next page, it says, support for the longer ending. Uh, I'm going to read that here. Um, but I do want to go to, right now, I do want to go to page 18. This is support for the long ending. Uh, what could be, uh, it, when, you, when you compare... And we'll go back to the support for the long ending. Now, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily support it, but there's, we want to look at the reasons why there's reasons to support it. When you look at Mark, and you look at Matthew, there's many parallel things, par- parallel verses in here. And I'm not going to write them all on the board, but you've got them on your notes there. If you're online, uh, there's on that link on the homepage, right underneath the live feed, there's a, that says notes. The, right here, Matthew and Mark's Gospels are similar or par- parallel in pattern followed throughout the book whenever matthew uses the word exousia which is the word for authority exousia which translates authority whenever mark uses that or matthew uses that story and that word it's right there in mark if mark use matthew uses it right there in mark all the way through if it shows up in matthew it's right there in mark Except in one case, you're going to see right here, at the end, right here, the story is the same, and all of a sudden it cuts off at verse 8. Mark, Mark, Matthew goes on and uses the word exousia. In the verses that follow, the subject matter of chapter 1, verse 8, and then all of a sudden, it's not there. Does that make sense to you? For example, chapter 7, verse 29. Matthew says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mark says... They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught, as, taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The same thing is chapter 9, verse 6 in Matthew, chapter 2, verse 10 in Mark, chapter 21 uh, in, in Matthew, chapter 11 in Mark, all the way through until you get down to chapter 28, verse 18 of the resurrection account in Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And every time Matthew says authority in context with Jesus, Every time Matthew says it, Mark says it. Every time Matthew says it, Mark says And now, all authority has been given to me, and the women went away afraid and didn't say it to anybody. This is screaming, you need to say about his authority. And, that, and, that, and that's where, if, if Mark 16, 8 is not the ending, that's where is, people are like, where's the, author, where's the authority? And, and someone added it. Someone add, not wrong, but they're, they're finishing the book. So that, that's what's interesting taking place right there. And If you look right here in the next box on page 18, I've got Matthew 28, 5 through 8, and then I've got Mark 16, 6 through 8, and just look at how parallel they are. It's like this was uh, chapter 6 through 8 and, and Matthew. It's the same thing. It's just Matthew continues to write. Mark, apparently, it stops writing or it got lost. and It's a mystery. We don't know what happened. Okay, let's go back to page... 15, support for the long ending. This is what some people are waiting for. Stop taking my Bible apart. We want the Bible to stay just like it is. Okay, okay, okay. Here's Here, here. keep it, keep it. All the events of Mark 69 through 20 are biblical. Nothing wrong with it. It's not like a, some kind of weird doctrine. It appears that the longer ending was in circulation by 150 A.D. So we've got record, people quoting it, referring to it. By 150 A.D., they know it's there. So it's not like something that came around you know, in the Byzantine Empire. Um, it is said by some, okay, now that's, a, this, you can read this next part here, but that's not, that's just something some people say. I went back and looked it up and it's not a good, it's, it's I, don't, I don't like it. Uh, the, uh, the Epistles of the Apostles, earliest copy is 300 to 500 A.D. in Coptic. They say it's got the same information. <laughs> There's five brief phrases or points that are kind of similar it's not, a, it's not like you're quoting Matthew and Mark together. So I, I, you can take that if you want to, and if you want to defend it, you can, I don't like that. Chapter, uh, point Chapter 3, Jerome knew of these verses of the long ending in 380 and 420. We talked about it. He, he made a comment about them, but he knew they were there. It's not like they, they weren't there. They were there. Irenaeus, who was a, a, an apostle or a disciple of Polycarp, who's a, an apostle follower of John, uh, we'll be talking a lot about him when we get into church history. In 380 AD, this is one of the strongest supports for the long ending. In 380 AD, Irenaeus knew verses 16, 9 through 20, and considered these verses in the long ending to be something attached to Mark's gospel to help quote round off the book, or to be replaced, or to replace a missing ending. So he knew they were there, and he saw them as something that kind of rounded off the book of mark which is an interesting way of approaching it now this is 180 a.d they came into existence say around 150 possibly maybe earlier uh but by 180 Irenaeus sees them knows them and is saying they were put in there to round off the book of mark um in in uh against her- heresies i'm reading that book right now it's uh, it's it's a mind bender just trying to keep up with all the gnostic information he's providing I'm struggling. I'm going to try to read the whole thing. I'm about a third of the way through. Tony hears me griping about it all the time. Uh, He credits Mark's gospel as having verses 16-19, directly quotes the full content of Mark 16-19. So in 180, Irenaeus, fighting against the heretics, quotes Mark 16-19. You can say Clement didn't know it. You can say Origen didn't know about it. Eusebius, Jerome didn't use it. Well, Irenaeus did use it in Gaul, uh, you know, over in, in Spain, writing uh, back to the Eastern world, which would be Rome and, uh, and and Asia Minor. And there's more about that right there. Um, in fact, I've got it underlined. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it underlined there on page 16. Also, point five, Titian's. A diatessaron, which is the four gospels compiled. If you've maybe you've got one, I've got one or two downstairs. Where instead of having one, two, three, four gospels, you just take all the gospels, just blend them all together. So when when Jesus travels, you get Mark's account, Luke's account, and all kind of together, which is an interesting way of of looking at it. Um, He does this in one fifty A.D. Now we do not have a Greek copy of this. We've got the Syrian copy of this um uh it uh, it's, uh, it was used in the syrian gospel this is what the syrians used as their gospel up until 400 a.d so they didn't have matthew mark luke and john they blended them all together and they had this uh, t- t- tatian's uh, Diatessaron. Uh, anyway you got more information about that uh the, the the oldest copy we've got is 541 to 546 includes uh, this portion of the gospel. And it's interesting that you can see right there, Mark 16.10 comes after Luke twenty Luke Mark 16.12 comes between Luke 24.11 and 24.13. You can see that. So all of uh, Mark sixteen ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 19 are all in that book, uh, in that uh, c- uh, compilation of uh, parallel gospels. Apparently being written around 150 A.D., the oldest manuscript we've got is 700 A.D., uh, but it's, it's there. Uh, Justin Martyr in 160 A.D. writing chapter 45 of his first Apology uh, loosely refers to the resurrection with terms very similar to Mark. So that's 160. You know, we talk about being there in 150. Mark, Justin, some people say, are using reference to it when he's writing his books of, of, uh, to Pius, the emperor, in 160 A.D. The longer any, now here we go. Here's your killer evidence for keeping the longer text. It's not in the 325, the 350, Codex Vaticanus, Codex uh, Sinaiticus, but it is in Codex Alexandrius from the 400s. That's Codex A. It is in (coughs) Ephraim Rescriptus, which is from the 400s, which is Codex (coughs) C. Codex Ephraim is uh, a a sermon written by Ephraim. That he didn't have enough papyrus. So, what he did, he scraped off the ink that was on there, which was the, the, God, the, the, the scriptures, and wrote his sermons. And then, in a library, it's something, you can't look this up, just look it up. There's a whole story. In a library, someone, someone was reading it, and they realized this, is, this old codex has got something written underneath this. Most. And so, then they started putting lights on it and looking at it, and they realized that Ephraim had erased. The, the, the text of scripture to write his sermons and so you can read Ephraim Rescriptus and can you imagine what Rescriptus means, means rewrote. It's Ephraim's Bible that he erased and rewrote his sermons on. Do not try this at home. But anyway, so that's, that's in the uh, National Library at Paris. It's an unseal, which is kind of a clever story, but that's called C and it is in that one. Uh, Codex Basie uh, co- that's called D from the 400s and then turn the page and there's all your codexes and papyri that are valuable that all have it in there but the difference here is notice right here 325 here's here's the kicker the most reliable manuscripts and early witnesses do not have these it's not in the 325 it's not in 350 it's not in some of the 400s it's not in the uh, Ar- Armenian uh, it's not into the early church fathers But once you hit 400, 425, it's in in all the manuscripts. And so the argument would be, these early ones are corrupt, they fixed it, and it's in the majority. So people say, in support of these, the majority of the ancient manuscripts have Matthew 16, 9 through 20. So if you're going to do a vote on who got elected, you'll say, this belongs in the Bible, they've got more manuscripts. But you can say, these were all mail-in manuscripts. The people that actually showed up to vote were these four. And these are the legitimate votes. These are all manufactured votes. So it's like, it depends on how you're going to count the ballots. That's what that what, really that's that's comes down to. So that's in support of that right there. Um, turning the page, we come to almost the end. The rejection of the long ending based on internal and textual evidence. This will be the last thing why forget all the manuscripts forget all the early witnesses we're looking at what we have today why is a long ending why would we say that's that's not supposed to be there internally just looking at it number one the connection again this doesn't mean it's right this would be the arguments against it the connection you may say i disagree with that and if you disagree with it you don't need to say it but you can certainly disagree with it it's not like i'm going to lay down and die for all this information the connection between tra- chapter 16, verse 8 and 16, verse 9 through 20 is abrupt and awkward, some would say. You can decide. Again, like we talk about, Mary shows up twice. Uh, 69 begins with a masculine nominative participle, anesthes, which requires he, meaning raised, resurrected, and there's no he there. It's masculine, but there's no he there in, in near the text. I mean, it looks like it was just cut and pasted in. We've already said this, Mary Magdalene is referred to and, and is described as if she just appears. Point four, the women who were, uh, the, were commanded to go speak to the men simply drop out of the story while Mary is instantly in an entirely different scenario talking to Jesus. So go tell my disciples, end story. Now Mary's at the tomb by herself. No one went to tell anybody and now she's talking to Jesus. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, the whole scene switches, and then they introduce Mary again, and she's in a different scene. One of the points, uh, focus of chapter 16, verse 1 through 8, was Jesus promised to appear uh, to his disciples in Galilee. They never come back to that part. Chapter 16, verse 9 through 20 is short, concise, with no connection to Mark's story and minimal detail. So you say, well, it's only this. Yeah, it's it's very short, but it's got a bunch of information packed into it with just like just random just facts. It's like it's not connected to anything. It's just someone's putting an ending on is is the reason why you'd say it's there the events rapidly described in chapters 69 through 20 are all highlights of detailed m- descriptions in matthew luke and john it's like you took the highlights of matthew luke and john condensed it and stick it in the gospel of mark that's what the accusation would be of internal evidence a uh, point eight the content of 16 9 through 20 concerning and uh, is concerning and needs much further explanation uh, for example, a Jesus rebuking his disciples for not being able to comprehend the resurrection, which is exactly what they're supposed to do: is go to all the world and explain the message. And the only reason that Jesus, well, you should have believed. Someone said they saw me alive. Uh, this is too strange, and, and they didn't believe until they saw him alive. Now they're supposed to go to the whole world and tell people that he's alive. Uh, and the only reason they believe is he appeared to them alive. And now they're going to be sending people to hell because uh they didn't believe the gospel well if jesus appeared to them live like paul maybe they would have believed but that's not going to be an option he's like well here watch jesus will appear to you ta-da that's how that's why we believe so it's kind of like the reason they believed was not the message not the word not the promises not the prophecies but oh man you are alive okay okay well they don't even need the bible now i just saw jesus and so that's just kind of a interesting way uh, i mean not, not that right or wrong uh one of the part of the gospel was the resurrection and being in appearances now they are promised uh universal immunity to poison uh the whole book has been about suffering the son of man is going to suffer you're going to follow jesus you're going to suffer and now at the end of the book about suffering and again when you talk about matthew matthew is the book about the king John is the book about the, the man who was God. Luke is about the, the man who was man. You know, the son of man is in Luke. The son of God is in John. The, the son of David is in Matthew. And the son of suffering is about Mark. Well, at the end of the book about the suffering servant and those who are going to follow him are going to suffer, is, oh, nothing can harm you. It's like, well, that doesn't fit Mark's whole theme. It's like, poison won't hurt you, snakes won't hurt you. You're going to be fine while you're being martyred in Rome. It seems like there should have been a little more, you know, emphasis on the martyr, something. I mean, again, this is me telling you what I think. Um, God can and has suspended physical realities and nature when he turned water into wine or walked on the water, but believers are not to live their lives with the sense that natural reality will be suspended for them. For example, poison will kill you, snakes will bite you, water is wet, and the wind will blow. Yes, but I can handle snakes, I can drink poison, I can walk on water. It's like, no, 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 no that's not the point of the whole story. Um, okay, and what we got on the next page, last page, point nine. Oh, Jesus referred to for the first time in the book of Mark as Lord Jesus in chapter sixteen, verse nineteen, as Lord in sixteen twenty. Now, Lord is used a few times in the book of Mark, but is in reference to God, if it's quoting Old Testament scripture, but all of a sudden. Lord Jesus becomes a, a new familiar, not a familiar, but a, a, a new term that has not been used until right here, right at the end, Lord Jesus. Where, where's that been this whole time? It's always been Jesus, 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 now Lord Jesus. Of course, he's resurrected, maybe he changes his title, but it seems like something that was coming from some other source than Mark. Um, and then uh, the signs, right there, point 10 talks about the signs. And then we've got a bunch of pictures of the manuscripts or papyrus that we looked at last week. Uh, Codex Sinaiticus, and we got uh, the apparatus at the end of the the Greek text. Anyway, that is the end of the book of Mark. Again, what a sad way to end the book of Mark uh, questioning the end of the verse. But I do want to take a look at that. uh, And uh, Any questions? Again, we're out of time. I want to say something profound right now. But uh, I've just ridiculed 11 verses of scripture. <laughs> yes, ma'am, please say something that I can end with a positive note. <laughs> On page one, yes. you had a number five additional words added. Right. But I don't remember you mentioning anything about that. That's right here. It's one manuscript. It's called the Freer or the Washington Annius inserts additional material after verse 14. So chapter 16, verse 9 through 20, we read the long edition in our long ending in our text. In verse fourteen, that one manuscript, just one manuscript, uh, it says afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked. Um, uh, That's just additional words that are not in the long ending. So that's just again part of the. And that's when you get into the uh, the Greek and you start looking at the apparatus of how they built the Greek text that we translate, you're going to see all, there'll be like one, if there's one manuscript from you know 727 AD that's got a little weird note in it, it's like, okay, we, we take note of that, but we're not going to put it in, the, it doesn't show up until 700. It's probably something someone copied into the text or some scribe. Because again, we're talking about human scribe. We're not attacking the word of God. We're recognizing that the word of God is transmitted by scribes. And so, That's something that just shows up in one manuscript. It's no different than, you know, me teaching Bible class, and we're not, just because you disagree with what I said about the Bible doesn't mean you're attacking the integrity of Scripture. You believe in the integrity of Scripture, but you are questioning my ability to communicate it clearly every time. And same thing, we're not questioning uh, the, the, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints or the inerrancy of the Scriptures. We are questioning that every time the Bible was copied, that the scribes were accurate and perfect, that there could be mistakes in it. And that's where textual criticism has to come back. Now, when you look at other ancient documents, many other, like, writings of, of Caesar, Julius Caesar, or Homer, or something, uh, you can't do what we do with the Scriptures, have what we call textual criticism. You may have, uh, you, may have you know, two copies of, of something, or it may not, and... and Two things: you have the number of copies, and the date of the copy compared to the origin when it was original. So, like the disciples would have wrote, let's say 35 to 70 A.D. We've got the John Ryland manuscript, which is a portion from about at least 125 A.D. So we're within 50 years of a copy of the original manuscript, and then we start having thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts up for the next up until, say, 900 A.D. When you take the writings of Julius Caesar, or you take the writings of Homer, you may have two Greek copy. I I don't know. Again, this information is available. uh, uh, What's his name? Uh, uh, Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Josh McDowell. Uh, You may have, again, I'm making the numbers up here, but it's close. You may have two uh, Greek manuscripts of Homer, and Homer wrote 700 BC around the time of Hezekiah but these are copies from 1200 AD so you're your this is the original here's your two manuscripts that you've got and the gap now is you know 2000 years and people go oh, that's what Homer wrote well it it was copied for 2000 years before you get an original copy and it may be translated into Latin you know it may not even be a Greek translation and and you're and you're doing all of your Homer or all of your Julius Caesar, all of the information we know about the Gallic Wars, or like what well, you were telling me yesterday, Steve, about Josephus. The only way we know about the Roman Wars is Josephus. We've got one, we've got one, we got many manuscripts. We got one author recording the Jewish Wars, and we know all about the wars with Rome, with the Jews. Why? We got one author writing one one book, and we know all about it. And that's why it's like, well, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that's all you can say. I don't know. If that's a lot of numbers. Uh, you can't compare it to anything. Some archaeology, some things like this. Well, same thing here. You're talking about all of Homer or all the wars of the Gallic Wars. You've got two manuscripts that took 2,000 years or, or 1,000 years of being copied before you get a text that you can translate into English of what you're going to teach in your university. This is what Homer wrote. This is what the Gallic Wars were like. And it's like, you copied that for 1,000, 2,000 years and you've only got two copies of it. And it's in a different language. How do you know what he wrote? Well, we're academics. Well, now the Bible, you've got thousands and thousands of all these manuscripts going back, some of them within 50 years of John writing the book of John. You've got a fragment of his actual writing on a different continent. Uh, with If he wrote it in, in 90 AD, it could be 110 AD. We're talking 10, 20, 30, yeah, well, that'd be 20 years, right? Yeah, 90, 110, okay. You're talking, it could be as quickly as 20 years, and it's on another continent. And then, then it, after that, it just increases the manuscripts. And so here is, you can do textual criticism of the Bible because there's so many manuscripts. So if you think you've got the authentic writing of Homer and the authentic writing of Julius Caesar in the Gallic Wars, you definitely have very, very accurate recordings of the scriptures because everybody was copied. And these are legends. These are history. They can be written for political reasons. The scripture was written as the word of God the people that wrote it were dying for having believed it those that were their disciples were not trying to twist it and if someone was trying to twist it you got guys like Jude writing you need to contend for the faith those people have, come, have secretly snuck in among you and are trying to change this and so people were dying they were bent on preserving the accuracy they thought these words contain life they're not gonna say well here's I think I got a better now progressive scholars today will say "Wow, well, i know that's what's been handed down to us but i've got a better idea this is this is america in 2023 it's it's different than it was back here and then they'll change their teaching these guys weren't changing it. i don't know if that answered your question or not okay <laughs> but but that's a good point that's how you, when we start talking about the criticism of scripture we're not talking about one or two little documents we're talking about these guys, we can actually sit and put this mountain of information together and stack it up here, stack it up here and talk about it. Where here, you, what are you going to argue about Homer? you got two copies and you're going to argue about it. It's like, I don't. okay, I'll pray. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we may continue to have confidence in your word that we would again be the people you've called us to be. Any mistakes that we've made in our approach to scripture, our approach to your truth, I ask that your spirit would convict us and lead us into your light that we may continue to walk in the light as you were in the light and do the things empowered by the spirit that you've called us to. We do thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.